Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the Johannine Gospel, the 14th chapter for a familiar passage. Be looking at verses 1 through 6, and then we'll skip down to verse 27. John 14, 1. It's a familiar passage. You'll know the rhythm and the cadence. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let your heart be fearful. I read that Dr. Phil had the following advice of how to have inner peace. Dr. Phil proclaimed, the way to achieve inner peace is to finish all the things that you started but never finished. A lot of us will be in trouble on this one. The way to achieve inner peace is to finish all the things that you have started but never finished. Hmm. One of his faithful viewers to the doctor's advice, to heart, she wrote, so I looked around my house to see all the things that I had started, but I hadn't finished. And before leaving the house this morning, I finished off a bottle of Bailey's Irish cream, <laughs> a package of Oreos, the remainder of my old Prozac prescription, the rest of the cheesecake, a half-eaten bag of Doritos, and a box of chocolate. My slacks are a bit tight around the waist, but man, do I feel good. <laughs> Dr. Phil was definitely right, she said. Finish what you start. But Jesus looked at it differently. Jesus said, peace comes as a gift. Ver there, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not like the world gives unto you, do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, and don't let your heart be afraid. Edie Postal Cole, when she was a little girl, asked her mother, Is it Saturday morning? Is it Saturday morning? Yes, it's Saturday morning, and yes, Daddy will be home today. Her mother would say always with a smile, Oh, goody, oh, goody, can we go meet him, Edie would ask. Can we go meet him, she'd ask. It's pretty cold. We'll see what it's like later. That same conversation, Edie remembers, took place many times in the years gone by since Edie was a little girl. She remembers. We lived in a small village about eight miles away from the farm. We had to live close to my sister's school. My father drove to the farm during the warm summer months, but in the, in the winter, once the rains and the snow set in, he had to walk back and forth eight miles. He would go on Monday and come home on Saturday. 
Monday mornings. Monday mornings were sad. We watched our daddy sling a gunny sack over his back full of groceries and, well, trudge off to the farm. We'd stand at the front window and we would watch and watch and watch until his figure, more and more distant, finally completely disappeared. Then we'd slowly return to our day's activities. And the week would drag by. But then it was Saturday and all our gloom was vanished. Would Daddy, Daddy would be home. Daddy would be home today. My sister and I loved to meet him along the way. All day we'd wait for our mother to decide if we could. If it wasn't too cold, she would put us in our, our warmest winter wear. And mine included a scarf that would wrap around my head with just a little slip for my eyes from which to peer out into the snowy world around us. My heart raced when we started that hike. My stubby legs could hardly maneuver through the deep snow. My big sister, I held her hand. She kind of encouraged me and pulled me forward out of the snow drifts. East of our village was a hill, a steep hill called Kelly's Hill. We would struggle to the top, huffing and puffing and, and spurred on by the thought of whom we would see when we got to the top. Can you see him? I would ask my sister Doreen. Can you see him yet? I asked as we crested the hill. Not yet, not yet, Doreen would say, looking over the horizon. Finally, we could make out the form, a, a soul form, a lone figure making his way to us, plodding along at a distance. It's him. It, it's him, I shouted, jumping up and down. When the figure got closer, we just started to run, and Daddy started running towards us. He would open up his huge arms, and we would leap into them, and all the hugs and the kisses, a joyous reunion. Edie says, my father, my mother, and my sister are in heaven now. When I envision my own arrival there, I think about those Saturday mornings on Kelly's Hill. This time Jesus will run and meet me first, and I will leap into his open arms and laughing and basking in his love, and then my family will spot me, and they will rush toward me with arms wide open. What a joyous reunion. And this time, there'll be no more Monday goodbyes. Jesus is saying goodbye in the text this morning. He and his disciples are in the upper room, and he's already given the morsel to the one he dipped the sop. Judas has left the upper room, and now Jesus begins teaching the truths of the upper room. The moment that all of history had hoped for, salvation, Calvary was just around the corner by now in John's gospel. In John 13, 36, Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going away. Going away? How can he go away? They had left everything to follow Jesus. They had left their families behind. They had left their jobs behind. They had dropped the fishing nets. They had closed the tax books. They were busy now following this itinerant rabbi who went from village to village proclaiming that the kingdom of God had arrived. They had left everything to follow him, and they had no intentions of stopping. How can he say he's going away and they cannot follow? 
If you know John's gospel, you know earlier in John 8, he'd already spoken about going away, and he told the Jewish leaders they could not come to where he was going away. In fact, they thought in John 8, 21, he was contemplating suicide. And now he's in that moment of intimacy with his inner circle. The disciples are equally puzzled like the religious leaders. They are disturbed at this discussion. How can he say he's going away? His popularity is now at his highest. He was told them that he was going away, and, and later they could follow, but, but not now. In a little while they could Their hearts were aching. Their hearts were troubled. Everything seemed to be changing. And so now you know why Jesus says in John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What does he mean that he's going away and we can't follow until later? Stop. It's an active voice. Stop letting your hearts be troubled. Their hearts are troubled. Stop it. Stop it, Jesus says. Jesus knew what it was like in heaven. Who ever knows that Jesus doesn't speak of heaven in supposing language, but rather Jesus speaks of heaven in knowing language? Put your hearts at ease. My father has a large house, and there are many dwelling places there. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am, there you'll be able to join me. Jesus is not speculating about the future. Rather, the King of kings and Lord of lords speaks about heaven as if it is his old hometown. He had a reason that he had to leave. He had to go and prepare a place through his death and his resurrection, his presence and glory for those who called him Lord to follow. And he assures them, if I go and prepare a place, I will come again for you. In this story, you realize that Jesus is thinking about heaven, but the disciples are thinking about earth. They want an earthly kingdom, and he's preparing a heavenly kingdom. The first thing I want you to notice in this verse is this. When we're thinking about earthly things, Jesus focuses on heaven. We're thinking about earthly things that Jesus focuses on heaven. We're like those disciples, aren't we, really? If we're to be honest this morning, we don't think about heaven a whole lot. Right? Some of us still like to live under the delusion that somehow earth will make us happy, that the things that we really need we can strive for and achieve right here, right now, that we can grasp our goals on this side. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson wrote, we're not nearly as homesick for heaven as generations of believers before us. We're not hungry enough, we're not sick enough, we're not poor enough, we're not persecuted enough, at least in our culture, to look toward a future life when this one in itself is pretty good. We plan to go to heaven someday, of course, but right now, we don't even want to think about it. That certainly wasn't the attitude of Jesus or the Apostle Paul Jesus and Paul saw themselves as citizens of a different kingdom. They were only passing through here. Their goals were elsewhere, both for Paul and Jesus. 
the beauty, the glory, the wonder, the awe, the magnificence, the triumph, those thoughts that we used to have about heaven as followers of Jesus, now we think of heaven as something joyless and, well, we just as soon stay here. In fact, Time Magazine did an article. It discussed that pastors rarely ever preach about heaven anymore at all. In fact, theological, theological professor David Wells at Gordon-Conwell uh, Theological Seminary noted, we would expect to hear some good news about heaven from the pulpits, but I don't hear it anywhere from anyone anymore. Jesus himself, however, was not tentative at all to speak about the new heaven, the new earth, the kingdom of God. In fact, the first words of this preacher every time he started the sermon was, Repent, for the kingdom of God has arrived. The seed is here. The great tree will come. Actually, in most churches, the only time you hear the word heaven is in a really old hymn, kind of tucked away there, sort of like a, a bug in amber, just something old and preserved. Heaven has seemingly, not really in our written theology, but in our practical thoughts, has disappeared. We're not homesick for heaven anymore because we're happy right here, right now. My sister Jay has a daughter named Logan. When Logan was four, my sister Jay, J-A-Y-E, and her husband Ralph and, and Logan, they, their family was with another family eating at a restaurant in Greenville, South Carolina. And their, their friends have a five-year-old girl that goes by the name of Bailey. And Bailey, for a five-year-old, gave some pretty intense theological blessings. She always wanted to say the blessing at the mealtime. On this occasion, eating out with my sister and her family, the two families of preschoolers, well, Bailey's blessing went like this. Now, Lord, when we die, take us to heaven. We'll leave this world and go to the world beyond. My four-year-old niece, Logan, got very, very quiet. She just started crying out loud, sobbing in the restaurant. They had no idea what had happened to Logan to upset her so. Well, Logan, in response to her five-year-old friend's prayer, said to her mother in tears, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to leave this world and go to the world beyond. I don't want to leave my stuff, she said. I'm afraid there are a lot of folks with Logan's four-year-old attitude in our Western world. We don't want to trade our stuff for the eternal. C.S. Lewis said, Our Father refreshes us on this journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for our home. Our Father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake this world as our home. So when the Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus is unhappy here on earth, he talks about a heavenly home and mansions made by his father. That's okay. But for us right here, right now, we're here to stay. 
Somehow we have become convinced that the pleasures of this life and of this world, the achievements of this moment, will be able to fulfill our heart's desire. Sometimes we're way too happy with our toes in the clay. There's a second thing I want you to see. Our sights are lifted when brokenness comes. Our sights are lifted when brokenness comes. For you see in the text here in the Johannine Gospel, in John 14, Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem. Brokenness is about to visit Jesus in the text. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is marching toward Calvary. He's marching toward Jerusalem to that moment when the nails will pierce his hands, when the thorns will pierce his brow, when the spear will pierce his side. Throughout the Gospels, he's making his way to brokenness, to the cross. And yet it's so strange as Jesus is speaking more and more about heaven, the disciples keep thinking about all earthly things. Jesus is thinking about the eternal, and they're thinking about the earth. Jesus is thinking about the cosmic, and they're thinking about this world and this place. You see, the difference in these gospels between Jesus and his disciples is that the sights of Jesus are lifted while the disciples are still looking on earth. That call of Jesus throughout this journey towards Jerusalem, the call toward the cross is lift your sights. Don't think just about the here and now, but the redemption, the new heaven, the new earth, the new place for God's people. Here's a third thing I want you to see. The here and now, this passing world, is important only in as much as it has bearing on the hereafter. The here and now, this passing world, is important only in as much as it has bearing on the hereafter. Now, you think about that statement a moment theologically and philosophically. This world, the right here, the right now, only matters in as much as it impacts our existence in the eternal realm. Jesus had a real sense that this earth was so full of evil and so full of the enemy that it really wasn't his home. It must be redeemed and restored into eternity. It's just a pilgrimage passing through the woods to our real destination of being home with the Father. Indeed, in our own journeys and in our own pilgrimage will take us to the eternal kingdom of God. And sometimes, no, all the time, that journey is made through Jerusalem. That journey is always made through Calvary, through suffering. Jesus says to his disciples, stop being troubled. Stop worrying. I'm going and I'm coming back and you will be with me. Heaven is our life's end, is our journey's gold, the rich repository of every single spiritual investment we make down here on earth. Our sights are lifted when we too go through Jerusalem. We find ourselves like Jesus facing brokenness, broken body. We think about a new one, one that works, one that walks. We think about heaven when we have a broken home. 
When we shed those tears, we want to go to a place where there's no more sorrow and no more pain, where the Father, it says in Revelation 21, wipes away with a new heaven, new earth, every tear that falls. Some of you realize this earth can't keep its promises. It's all a mirage here. Absolutely nothing is completely real. It's all like a Hollywood set. Our sights are lifted sometimes when death comes to someone in our family that we know and that we love. When someone we love really is already on the other side, then our sights are lifted to eternity with them. You see a child with a disability and you know this disability isn't permanent. Your sights are lifted. Surely this cannot be the best place. You see, heaven is not something for later. Heaven is our hope right now. Vance Havner used to preach and say, the hope of dying is the only thing that keeps me alive. Now, you think about that one. The hope of dying is the only thing that keeps me alive. Stop letting your hearts be troubled. You have believed in God, and now believe in me. I'm going to a different place. I'm going to prepare you a place, and we will be together. Indeed, the Apostle Paul says, if we suffer with him, likewise we will be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. Romans 8. Fourth thing I want you to see. When someone you love is on the other side, the other side becomes awfully important to you. When you think about someone going away or someone has gone away to the other side, becomes a really important place. Dorothy Brewer tells a story. Back in the day when everyone had a landline, the house was very quiet. She was all alone and the phone rang sharply and unexpectedly. How she remembered vividly that little, small, timid voice on the other side that said, Hello, is this heaven? She thought someone was pulling a joke, so she said, It sure is. It's heaven around here all the time. The child on the other end said, Is my grandma there? I need to speak to her. She went to heaven, and I'm so lonesome for her. The child began to weep. Dorothy Brewer realized the circumstance she was in. She realized that the child was in great sorrow, grieving over the death of her beloved grandmother. And Dorothy writes, I quickly breathed a little prayer for the Lord to help me navigate this conversation. I told her her grandmother was sleeping right now, and I couldn't, I couldn't wake her. And the precious child said, When you see Grandma, will you tell her that I love her and I miss her very much? I told her when I saw her Grandma again, I certainly would give her the message. I told her their grandmother was in a beautiful place and she was very, very happy. And that she believed in Jesus with her heart, she would see Jesus one day and her Grandma too. All right, goodbye, the little girl said, now satisfied. Wait, 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 came a voice from the other line. Remember when you had two landlines in your house? Wait, 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 came the voice. Don't hang up. 
I want to speak to you. The lady on the phone was a child's mother. She told the rest of the story. Her mother, who had been living with them, had recently died. And Linda, her daughter, had missed her grandma so very much. And they told her that she had gone to heaven. She kept saying, can I call heaven? Can I call heaven? And finally, well, the dad said, just let her call. Said she's not going to get anybody, and that'll be the end of it. Maybe she'll stop. Dorothy writes, but she did get somebody. She got me. The mother had been listening in on the conversation. Dorothy said, I live in California, found out the little girl lived in Florida. Dorothy writes, I hope at the proper time that Linda will be told she really didn't reach heaven, but rather she reached one of heaven's children still on this side. Needless to say, Dorothy writes, I wept over the little girl's grief for her grandmother. She had taken ill with her grief. Her mom had told her. And when I do go home to my precious Savior, Dorothy writes, I will see Linda's grandmother, and I will give her Linda's message. When are our sights lifted? We're a broken, broken body, broken heart, broken home. When brokenness comes, our sights are lifted to the redeemed heaven and earth. What we do now invests for all eternity. The here and now is important only in as much as it's connected to the hereafter. Do we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, crucified and raised again? Have we accepted Jesus Christ as the way, the only way? Are we busy about the Father's business? Jesus makes that proclamation in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Thomas asks, Jesus says, I am the way. John, the same writer of our text, writes in that glorious apocalypse of his called Revelation that on that glad and glorious day, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more hurt, no more sorrow, no more weeping, no more death. This is the last thing I want to tell you. You are closer to heaven than ever before. You'll be home soon, too. You may not have noticed it, but even those who try to put heaven out of our minds, it's coming, and it's coming quickly, and you are closer to home than ever before. Each moment you live is a step taken. Each breath is a page turned. Each day is a mile marked, a mountain climbed. We're closer to home than ever before. And before we know it, our appointed arrival time will come. We'll descend that ramp to enter the holy city. We'll see the faces that are waiting for us. And we realize finally we're really, really home. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am, you will also be there. Peace. My peace I leave with you. Not like the world gives peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be afraid. The Bethlehem baby brings Christmas peace. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Let's pray. Well, God, may Christmas shock us into thinking about a redeemed creation. May we realize afresh and anew that this broken place is not our home. That you've led the way in death and resurrection. Even like that first fruit off the tree, those who are yours will fill the baskets of fruit to follow. And God, maybe there's here, someone here this morning that needs to profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And maybe they realize afresh and anew that only and as much as this life impacts the next life, that's all that matters. Maybe there's someone that needs to come be a part of a church family like this. May you lead in Jesus' name, amen.